So we heard a, a wonderful lesson on the covenant of redemption. And I hope many of you um, weren't uh, scared off once you heard that term, uh, covenant of redemption. At times, um, when, I was in, when I was in college, uh, the professor would say, we're going to speak about this subject. And the subject alone uh, was enough to scare me and enough for me to uh, uh, remove myself from the class. <laughs> so we aren't to be those type of Christians when we hear uh, terms like covenant of redemption, covenant of works, uh, the Trinity, hypostatic union, but uh, we should um, allow ourselves to be uh, excited and to be motivated to learn and, uh, about uh, such great, rich, and mysterious doctrines. And what we learned this morning is that in eternity past, uh, in eternity, uh, there was a covenant that was made. There was a, an agreement or a pact that was made between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the Father and the Son being the two primary parties. Where the Father gave to the Son obligations in order for him to redeem a people out of the slave market of sin. And note, saints, the covenant of redemption was made before Adam even fell. So before Adam fell, there was a pact, there was an agreement made, which you were in, uh, you were in mind. Uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had you in mind in eternity. Your salvation, your well-being in mind. The Father gives to the Son a people. The Son comes and lives, dies, and rises for that people. And the Holy Spirit equips the Son to do all of His work that the Father had given to Him. And we, because we are united to Christ, we are united to the Son, we are given the Holy Spirit. And we are co-heirs and we are partakers of this a uh, uh, blessed life that we have in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing is given to us in Jesus Christ. He won for us everything. You heard the term covenant of works this morning and covenant of grace. And we have to remember that we are in a covenant of grace with God. There is nothing that we do to earn to be in this covenant, but God himself takes on all of the obligations and stipulations. And the only thing that we do is receive. We say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we renounce all of who we are in Adam. But we have to remember that it's a covenant of grace for us because for Christ, it was a covenant of works. We enter into an unconditional covenant because Christ kept for us the most strenuous conditional covenant of them all. The eternal son came, united to himself, a true human nature. But also he had to obey the moral law perfectly. He had to suffer for us and he had to die for us. And if he did all of those things perfectly, represent us, suffer for us, die for us, offer up to God a perfect and proper sacrifice, God promised that he would raise his son from the dead. So what we learn this morning has uh, great and connects to what we will talk about this evening. We learned about 
this plan that happened in eternity past, this pact and agreement that was that happened between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this evening, let's speak about how that pact and agreement showed itself off or showed itself in time. So something that happened in eternity past, we've learned about this morning, and now this evening we'll talk about how that pact agreement showed itself off in time. Where do we see it in time, specifically with Jesus Christ? And remember, we were talking about the work of Christ. Uh, last uh, week, uh, we spoke about the baptism of Jesus Christ. And I hope that that was a uh, refreshing and reminder, but also uh, new for many of you. And if you remember what I said, that Jesus Christ, when he's baptized, it is very much his ordination service. He is being ordained, not that he's not already been the mediator, not that he's already not been the uh, our prophet, priest, and king, but what we see at the baptism of Christ is his public affirmation and declaration by two witnesses. Anyone remember the two witnesses? The Father and the Spirit. The Father and the Spirit witness that the one who comes out of the waters is the Messiah. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is our mediator. And in the garden, when Adam fell, he didn't just fall for himself and for Eve and his children. But when he fell, we fell in him. He was our federal head. When Adam fell, we fell. When Adam sinned, we sinned. And when he sinned, the Bible says that there was a spiritual death. But what does that mean, spiritual death? And there's many things that we can talk about when we speak about God or Adam uh, uh, died spiritually. But at the most basic and fundamental uh, root, what Adam did was He separated us from God. When Adam sinned, he separated us from God. We once were in union with God, walking with God in the cool of the day. But now what happens? We, like Adam, hide ourselves from God. We hide ourselves from God because we are ashamed of what we have done. Paul says, We are not only separated from God, but we are haters of God. We are haters of God and we are hostile toward God, anything uh, toward God. Um, And the tension between us and God, when we think about this separation, uh, the tension between us and God is severe. It's strong. Uh, I've been doing a lot of watching and reading, and I don't know why, but... I'm just fascinated with North Korea. And it's very weird. But if you know anything about North Korea, there's a very high tension between North Korea and South Korea. In fact, if one was ever to cross the border, you got to get over a field. In the field, there is tons of just mines in the field. So there's a, there's a tension between North and South Korea But that doesn't even hold a candle to the tension between us and God. 
when we sinned in Adam. There is a wide gulf, a wide chasm between us and God. And if we, in and of ourselves, try to bring ourselves closer to God, we would be utterly destroyed. How do we know that? Because when Adam fell, he was kicked out of the garden. And what was there to keep Adam from going back in the garden? A flaming sword and a guardian. We cannot in and of ourselves heal our broken relationship with God. And this is why we see in the Old Testament, God graciously instituting the priesthood. In the Old Covenant, uh, only those who held the priestly vocation could enter into the holiest parts of the tabernacle. And it is in the tabernacle where God made his presence manifest. It's where God showed himself. And it's where the priests would offer to God the pure and holy sacrifices to the people or of the people to God. The priests in the old covenant were those ones who stood on the behalf of, uh, on the behalf of people before God. They stood on the behalf of the people before God. In other words, the priests were the mediators. They were the middle. They were the go-between, between sinful man and holy God. Now, if one was to ask you, what is our fundamental need if we are to enjoy a right relationship with God? How would you answer that? If someone was to ask you, what is our fundamental need if we were to jo- or we are to enjoy a right relationship with God? Well, we can say that we need the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. We need, as Luther says, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's not of our own. We can say that we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can say that we need to be uh, regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit. And amen to all of those answers. And all those answers are sufficient. But first and foremost, in order for us to be rightly related to God, in order for us to have a right relationship with God, we must have a mediator. We must have a mediator. Now, you might ask, what is a mediator? What is a mediator? John Flavel says, and if you haven't, quick note, if you haven't read or know of this man, Puritan John Flavel, read his sermons. That's all I'm going to say. The word mediator, he says, refers to an impartial person who acts between two others who are at odds in order to reconcile them. Once again, the word mediator refers to an impartial person who acts between two others who are at odds in order to reconcile them. Now, I probably didn't have to define it for you because you have experienced this before, I'm sure, in your own life. Parents, when your daughter and your son are mad at each other, more than likely you or your wife are going to be the mediator. You're going to be that person to bring these two parties who are at odds in war between each other. Or you have been one that has been at odds with someone else 
And you have called your mother or you've called your best friend or that one person who can talk sense to you and to the other party. So you yourself uh, have been in your life a mediator. You have been the person that people have gone to to say, hey, I'm really struggling with this person and I'm at odds with this person. Can you help me out? And can you maybe uh, reconcile our differences and help us? But also you've been the one that's called on a mediator. You've been the one that's been called or to, to call on and you've been the one that's uh, called. And when we consider our salvation, there is none that we need more than a mediator. Hear me, saints. When we consider our salvation, there is none that we need more than a mediator. And the one who mediates for us is Jesus Christ. He is the one that mediates, that comes in between these two opposing parties. Jesus Christ is our mediator. In fact, he is the perfect mediator. And the reason why Jesus is the perfect mediator, and many people get this confused or in error, They say that Jesus Christ is our perfect mediator because he lives and dies for us, which is not bad. But the reason why Jesus Christ is our perfect mediator lies in not what he does first, but who he is. This is why Jesus Christ is our perfect mediator, because of who he is in his person. Jesus Christ is is truly God and truly man. If you all remember, and I think I belabor the point uh, when we talked about the person of Christ, that he is a divine person with a divine nature, and he's united himself to a human nature. So you have one person with two natures. He's truly God and he's truly man. Jesus, as truly God, adds worth and value to his work of mediation. Meaning that all of what Christ does when he lives for you and when he dies for you, it is not just good. And this is this this is the good news of the gospel and the person of Christ. When he lives for you and dies for you, he doesn't just live and die for you for a season or for a year. But when he lives and dies for you, that work is effectual for all eternity. Not just for a month or a season or a year or 10 years, but forever. But also Christ as truly man doesn't just stand for sinners. And we learned about this last week, but he stands with sinners. He counts himself among sinners sinners. Jesus is able to represent humanity because he is himself. He himself assumed humanity. He's able to represent us because he at one time, or I should say right now, is us to a certain extent. He didn't just take on our nature, but he took on what it means for us to be us. John Calvin says, Who could do this unless the Son of God should also become the Son of Man 
and so receive what is ours as to transfer to us what is his. He receives 